This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. How often do you get to spend an hour in a deep conversation with a person you really like and we haven't caught up in a, in a while now? No, it's great. But I, was I feel like we're a continuous conversation <laughs> anyway. Um, so I, you know, I read your book twice and I'm so glad I read the second time because it's just like it was finished and it really sunk in. And one thing I kind of came away is like, I'm getting this book for everybody I know. Oh, yay. Everybody I work with, <laughs> seriously, highly recommend it and I kind of and it also it was like a mirror because all of a sudden I realized well I'm totally addicted mm -hmm. to these technologies right and everybody around me is addicted and it's like my name is Marina I'm an addict yes. let's admit it we're all in this and I feel like it was such a kind of a wake-up call for me to realize how much we are getting used to it and it's a norm and it doesn't feel right but it was really great to read it because even today at work I was much more conscious of my screens and I told everybody about the book and so we were much more putting the screens about down putting the screens down and I think like one of the things like let's just start with that it sounds like you had a similar kind of revelation of like this is not right this Something doesn't is happening feel right here yeah and I think I've obviously, both of us, I mean, I was so excited about the web and technology and how it could connect us in so many new ways and ideas, but I never envisioned um, back when I was founding the Webby Awards over 22 years ago that it would take everyone out of being present and that everyone would be staring down all the time and staring at this device. And it... I had a wake-up call, I think, because I had a life wake-up call um, where I had these two life events that were very dramatic that happened in a short period of time where my father, Leonard Slane, who I was very close to, was diagnosed with brain cancer, and he was given nine months to live, and then I found out I was pregnant. Of course, that's nine months, so this nine-month period was very intense, and also I was really thinking about time and how to be present with the time that I had with my dad and about this new life growing inside of me. So um, when he did pass away and then our daughter was born um, days later, I knew I, I, I just was looking around at society and everyone's head was down. And I was like, I, I don't wanna live this way. I, this isn't healthy. And this was kind of, I mean, now everyone's talking about addiction so much, but it just, it didn't feel right in my gut. And, um, at the time, we were part of this group that was doing a national day of unplugging, this group called Reboot. And there was kind of a ceremonial day. We're all going to unplug from the screens in honor of this very old practice of Shabbat. And it was one day, one day a year that they did this. And we did it. And it was exactly what I needed. And Ken and I, and Ken, we're both Jewish. And I should say we're cultural Jews. We're not religious. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so Shabbat, I mean, maybe we did a dinner occasionally. 
Ken had done some graduate school in Israel, so he had experienced what it's like to take a complete day off. But when the iPhone was invented, I think everyone would agree that that phone just changed the way that we live. It just interrupted every moment. You could take it everywhere, to your bedroom, on a walk, to the bathroom. It was everywhere. And so we unplugged that day, and that was, you know, 10 years ago, and we never stopped doing it. And it changed. Every week I get to realize how you know, unusual it is the way that we're living and how unhealthy it is. And, you know, there are thousands of behavioral scientists and engineers that are getting us to stare at the screen like that. So it's not just that you're weak. It's like, how can you compete with that? Right. And so um, the longer we were doing this practice of these tech Shabbats, the more addicted everyone was becoming. And um, it felt more urgent to get this idea out because it really felt like it's brought great balance back into my life and a more healthy relationship to tech and perspective, which we've lost perspective. I mean, like you were saying, I mean, it used to be not cool to be talking to someone and pull out your phone and start scrolling as you're talking. I mean, it's so common now and at the dinner and phones are everywhere in offices and screens are up during meetings and no one's paying attention. No one's really paying attention. Yeah. And even if you agree with someone, like my husband and I go to dinner, it's like, okay, we're going to put away our phones. But it's like towards the end of dinner, it's like, oh my God, I'm just feeling so, like I need this. I need this. Fill me up with whatever. And it's nothing. So it makes me oftentimes feel like, well, what do we do with those moments of pauses of like, you're in the car and you don't have a device, you know, a passenger, not not a driver. But, you know, we, we must have been looking around at nature and whatever was going by. But it's, I like your, um, you talk about cigarette addiction, like tobacco addiction, that what we've got is very similar. And to me, it's similar to tobacco addiction. It's like, oh, there's a moment in between. I don't know what to do. Let me just pull out a cigarette, you know. Were you ever a smoker? Uh, a little bit. Not, I was. Not so I, it's so directly like I'd be smoking a cigarette and I'd want another cigarette. I'm like, I'm smoking a cigarette already. But it's always like in between moments. Like what yeah. else is there to do? Let me pull out a cigarette, right? Yeah. And the in between moments um, are so much of what our relationships are about. There's so much what I think creativity is about. You know, it's the pauses in between the music and it's the and and I think it's also the fabric of our society. I mean, you walk around and even going to the library or the coffee store or the bus, wherever you are, it used to be like, hey, hi, eye contact, connection. Now it's like you're scrolling and mumbling and grunting your way through all these interactions. And I, you know, we're at a dark place in our society right now. And of course, there's so many reasons for where we are and what we need to do to change it. But I certainly thinking having more authentic connection with everybody around you and being more present with yourself and give yourself room to have bigger thoughts and not just like stuffing your eyeballs and your brain with every scroll and stressful news headline and FOMO and this and that. And it's like, how do you even have the space to have a big thought or to connect thoughts when they're being kind of forced connected at you all the time? So obviously there's so many times when I love technology. So it's not, I think what to me, this is about coexisting in a way that feels more important with each passing day the way we're living right now so you know it's it's interesting there are different when you read a book different things like you find oh my god didn't know about that or didn't think about it so interestingly for me it was um you wrote that even veterinarians are now 
finding that the pets are deprived of eye contact. They're getting stressed out because the so owners I said, are not. Um, I apologized to my cat this morning. That <laughs> was my first thing. And because I, I noticed that, like, you know, when I lie down or I'm sitting, my cat crawls and up wants and to, wants like, to, connect. and she has to go around my devices to oh. get to my face or whatever. And it, it's, it was just kind of like, oh my gosh, that, you know, our pets are affected. It's real. And, and that kind of eye contact, I mean, I really think about breastfeeding and there's so many studies. I mean, human evolution. I go into a lot of human evolution and neuroscience, and the brain grows through eye contact. You know, a mother looking at a child is activating synapses and new growth and connection. And there's a lot less of that happening. So we might be with each other more, but we're not with each other. Right. You know, so I think the lack of eye contact. It's eye contact. And I mean, eye contact is a very important thing. And I, you know, a lot of the people creating these tools, that might not be their biggest strength. Yes. Eye contact. If you've gone to any of the parties. Yeah, go to the, the tech, tech conferences thing. and look and see if eye contact is a... And so I think that's also in here. I mean, I, I think there is like, who are creating these tools? It's a very small percentage. And um, maybe communication, it, think about how it's being designed. Who is it being designed by? Is there diversity in perspectives? Is there women in the room creating that. I mean, I do think, I don't think, I don't think that mothers and women would have created a tool that completely takes away eye contact, which I think is where we are right now is that it, when you look around, it's really, sometimes it looks like a bit of a horror movie to me. Mm -hmm. I was in New York and I'm on the High Line, like one of the most beautiful places. And I, there was this moment I looked and everyone was staring down. And sometimes it looks to me like ostriches you know, just like heads in the sand. And what happens when you're not looking up? You can't see the big picture. You can't see what's happening. So I feel like we're in this, the pendulum has swung so far. And going back to smoking, I mean, I was a smoker just for a short period in my 20s. I was rebelling against my doctor family. Um, but everyone in San Francisco smoked. It was cool. Everyone smoked in restaurants and bars and, um, and then, you know, a combination of um, the guilt from my family, no, um, of all the research and the public health campaigns and making it not as cool, which I think is a part of it. Um, and because it made people feel important when they're constantly looking down, they're awkward somewhere, they look down, they're important, they're being notified by something, they're being liked. Um, but then suddenly people stop smoking. So I have, I have faith in humanity. I mean, I think we're in an interesting moment both with our government and with the technology. But ultimately, I believe that we can evolve our way through this. It's just so far over. I mean, when I was growing up in the 70s, it was TV. TV was going to turn our brains to mush. And I watched a lot of, a lot of bad, well, I, I don't know I want to call it bad TV, but Love Boat, Three's Company, uh, <laughs> Those were the Mindy. good old days. <laughs> the good old days, right? But I remember that was the big concern. And you know, I, do, I watch a lot less now. I mean, I know a lot of people on Netflix. Um, that's a whole other thing because that's also about keeping you on. And when I heard Reed Hastings say, somebody asked him, like, what's your biggest competition? Is it HBO? Is it Amazon? He's like, no, it's sleep. And I was like, huh, that's not good. <laughs> you know? So, so let's go there because there's so much about 
we're constantly smoking is bad changing our behavior you know eating junk food is bad it's about changing our behavior but i feel like we're against an army that's yes. very well equipped army that figured us out and is using these tools to make us addicted to cigarettes to Sugar. junk food yeah. to to social it's all media the same. i mean it's it's the same it came at advertising and neuroscience and really understand your modification right yeah. how do you target people how do you appeal to whatever it, it, it there's lots of money that's gone into that so one side of course we have to watch our behaviors and our social behaviors and culture but there's a other side which is the supply side that's pushing it's like drug pushers right oh, that's for it, sure this it, thing about colonizing your sleep it's like the last frontier what hasn't been colonized yet the mm. hours of sleep and your time yeah. right and that's your enemy so what do you think about that side of it and what do we do about that well there's a common i mean in the book i talk about this personal practice that my family's done but I also talk about legislation that needs to happen and awareness from citizens. I don't think we have our arms around the issue because we're all just we're just on the phones and we're, you know, we're, because we the high of it and we're we can't get off of it long enough to figure out what to do. But I also feel like we don't understand the problem enough. So we've given our data away for free. It's not free at all, and everyone is tracking our every like, our every move, and then. Based on that, they're catering new targeted things towards you, whether it's for the election or so, you know, or just keeping you. Oh, they even, you know, they they test out how many likes it takes you. You know, sometimes you do a post and they kind of drip out the likes, just keep you coming back. So I think there's an awareness. I mean, I think everyone now will say they're addicted. I mean, I've been around with the book and everyone will acknowledge, yes, I am addicted. So that's like the first step. This doesn't feel good. And then secondly, what do you do? Well, there's personal things you can do, like this practice of a tech Shabbat, which I think really kind of writes your perspective on what you're doing. It, it kind of ripples the other six days, and every week I reset. And I do a whole bunch of practices now throughout the week to bring more healthy tech use in my life, which I go into in the book. But then there's, you know, there's the business model of the web. And I was involved in the web from the early days and it was very decentralized. It wasn't controlled by a couple of corporations and it was exciting. And then this moment happened where the business model was all about sticking you. It was like that sticky eyeballs. I hate that term so much, but we want to stick your eyeballs somewhere, which sounds horrible. And it was all about keeping you somewhere and keeping you on the screen. And then that really inverted what I thought was the power of the web. It became centralized. So. The business model, we really need to look at. What are the alternatives? I mean, I often think, what would I pay for something like Facebook, which so many people are on, I can find anyone there. If I paid like a utility, like 20 bucks a month or something like that, and I own, and somebody wasn't selling in, in my data. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting conversation to have right now. What do you think about the other options? Like we have PBS and we have I other kind of public programs and public stations and we don't have a alternative to the I current think that's a Wikipedia is like the closest, the closest to that, equivalent the common space yeah I mean every year when we get asked to give to Wikipedia we're psyched to give to Wikipedia so what are more things that we would be psyched to give to that's serving the public good and I think that's the bigger thing is what the web has always represented to me is this 
this greater good of humanity, of connecting ideas. You know, we have over half the planet connected. And what will it be like when everyone is connected and you get that, that diversity of perspectives around our biggest problems? That's what excites me. But how do we, now we're at this moment where like this one business model has warped communication, it's addicted people, it's taking away eye contact. What are our options here? So a public broadcasting model, a utility model, like let's have the discussion. We, let's not just succumb, oh, it's Facebook, Google, and Amazon, and Apple, and oh, well, no, actually, this doesn't feel like a really healthy way to exist. It's hard to build new ones because you've got these huge legacy Entrenched. systems yeah. that are at scale, and they have a lot of money behind them, and they have huge, gigantic user base, so it's really hard to start something new to compete with that. So we have to be, I don't know, today there was the news about Zuckerberg and uh, uh, about Well, I Warren. guess I, I, I agree, but I, get, I never want to go, yes, it seems like you were going against the biggest behemoth, but I feel like it's our humanity at stake on some level, but again, um, just go, you, you do such great work around thinking about the future. Okay. Let's, let's go into the future thinking about if we continue on this trajectory and is it going to look like Wally? I mean, are we all going to just be leaning back, sucking down sugar and staring at our phones? Or are we going to be stepping up as humans and saying, actually, I value being present with those that I love. And when I'm working, I want to be more focused and I'm going to set my own self-regulation because we're talking about government regulations. We're talking about business regulations. Then there's personal regulations. How are you going to hold yourself accountable? Because we're all, you know, I'm a parent and parenting is so much about modeling behavior. So when you're doing, you're telling your kids to get off the phone and you're on the phone, it's like, what, what are you doing? They say like kids listen to 99, well, it's 99% what you do and 1% what you say. Right. Right. So I think, we just need to think about how we're living, how we're parenting, even at our company. I mean, like what you were saying about screens down at meetings now, I'm like, screens down, take notes by hand. I mean, it's just, it's so distracting to not make eye contact when you're trying. I mean, there's some moments where somebody's, you know, taking notes on something. But um, even at our film studio, we're trying to get, there was one piece of re research that really stuck out that's in the book where it takes 23 minutes when you get distracted by a notification or something, it will take you 23 minutes to get back into flow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna text a lot less. And not on the weekends, like if you're with family members sending some love, but people text so much right now and I have all notifications off on my phone. So I choose to go into my phone and my phone doesn't choose to treat me like a marionette doll, which is, the way I felt before I started doing that. Linda Stone. Oh yeah, partial, Microsoft, partial continu yeah. continuous partial continuous attention. partial attention. And it doesn't feel good. I mean, I think a lot of things I'm saying in the book, like what you said, I loved how you said it. It was just speaking to the way you're feeling and I could only speak my truth, which is that all the research is there to back it up, which I have in the book. But this is something I think instinctively we all know as humans that this doesn't feel good as a way to be with other people. So um, you mentioned, so we've gone through these periods where new technology, we think it's evil, you know, Socrates thought that writing right. was evil and we're all gonna lose our memory and capacity to generate memory, and maybe we did. You know, television definitely restructured our time and our lives in many ways. So do you feel like 
this is something different or we're just adjusting to something new and we are going to figure out these yeah. rules of engagement. That's what I think. I mean, I think you can look and I do go a lot into the history of communication and and there is a lot of hand wringing, but rightfully it's like things get out of whack and the pendulum. And so ideally you take the best of this new communication tool and you as a society go, you know, this let's weed this part out. Maybe we should have phones off the table when we're having a dinner with someone. And maybe that, what do we want to be teaching our kids as acceptable? Do they need to look up when someone walks in the room and put away their phone and make eye contact? So um, I think that this isn't different. And again, I ultimately believe we will work through this. Um, but I think it's a good conversation to have right now because it's a moment that um, I do feel like I just kind of want to grab everyone by the shoulders and go, what are we doing? Kind of the way I felt like I was grabbed by the shoulders when I had these dramatic events. It's like sometimes you you need to be reminded how unusual something is that's happening. And um, yeah, I think any great communication tool, there's, you know, nothing vast enters the life of mortals without a curse. So what's the curse right now? There's a curse that we are losing our sense of being present, of reflecting, of there's no room for so many of these things that we should value for our character. And I spend a lot of work making films on kind of the neuroscience and social science of character development. And all the research also shows that you need to make space to develop character. So things like gratitude and perspective and empathy and appreciation of beauty and love and you actually need to create space to cultivate those things mm -hmm. so if you're in a constant state of like you're just staring down you're being distracted you're neither here nor there you know you're never gonna create that space and of course this data that shows the rates of anxiety suicide oh, depression so many mental health issues yeah and it's maybe other things are related to that but clearly there's a correlation with our usage of social media and other things. One thing also in the book that I thought was really interesting when you talked about how even having a device on the table, like somebody else having a device open, it still drains energy from the room. Well, in making the smoking analogy, I call exactly. it secondhand Second. smoke because you're you're not on your device, but someone you're eating with has got it right on the table or you're at your office and somebody's got their phone right there, you're not as focused. And I believe that, I'm not, I'm looking at their phone, is it gonna buzz? How much time do I have to speak before their phone buzzes? And yeah, I think we all need to be, we're an ecosystem and we're all interdependent on how we act and it's how contagious, we, right? Yeah, it's, well I find like there's one thing, it's like when you yawn and everyone starts yawning, I feel like one person pulls out their phone and then everyone pulls out their phone. Like suddenly permission has been granted that everyone's gonna pick up their phone. So, and you kind of feel it like, you know, but you, you don't know what's going on. Like if you're in a room and everybody's got a device and somebody's looking, it drains energy and you yes. feel it. You feel it. It's like somebody has left the yet. room. Somebody has left the room and they're somewhere else. And then suddenly everyone's going to leave the room and somewhere else. So it's like when you're with, and it's not like, listen, there's a lot of times where you just want to zone out. I mean, the other six days of the week, I, for this one day, I feel so liberated. And that's, I think a lot of people have fear. Oh my gosh, what is it like to be without your phone for a day? Which is kind of ironic that people even are worried about that. But it's not what pe it's being taken away. It's what you get back. I mean, I feel this amazing sense of joy 
I feel relieved. I feel liberated. <laughs> I feel happy. I sleep so well on Friday night because we do it Friday night to Saturday night. Our teenage daughter, who's a junior in high school, I think is, you know, it's a, she's just starting her semester. I think every weekend she said, I'm so glad I have this day. You know, no homework, not being on social media, just not being on. And I think about like, you know when babies are born and they, oh, take them out, of, they can't be overstimulated. They're, they're too stimulated, take them out of that busy room. I don't think you age out of that. We are overstimulated. <laughs> we are on 24 seven and I think that that, the more, more productive, more productivity, more time. And think of time as your greatest, your greatest luxury, your greatest asset. And why are we giving it away? And there's a way to reclaim it. And the, this one day when we take it off, it's like, first of all, time slows down. It feels like the longest day of the week. And you'd think after doing this for 10 years, that would get old. It doesn't. Almost every Saturday, Ken and I are like, Gosh, it's only like 10. <laughs> and we we do a lot of things we love doing on our texture bots. And, and anyone that's interested in trying this, I would really recommend don't say to your partner or yourself or your kids, we're going to go off screens on the weekends. That's not a good strategy because that feels like you're being taken away. And instead, I would say, what what do you wish you had more time to do? And everyone has that list. My list is very long. There's so many things I want to do. And everyone's got the list and fill the day with that. Make it by all the things that, you know, you wish you had time to do. And you don't realize how much is interrupted by that screen. I mean, even reading, which I love to do. Now when I read, there's inevitably something in the book. I'm like, oh, that's going to make me think of this. And I go on my phone, then I'm on looking up, and then suddenly I've got a text, and then I'm on Twitter, and then like, boom, I'm off the book. Or even that happens when I'm watching a show. Like I, Ken and I still go to the movies every week because I am not a fo focused viewer on Netflix. Like I'm just <laughs> too distracted. I'm like, well, that's another thing. You're actually on multiple screens, so people watching whatever Netflix and they're and they're on their doing, phones they're working and, and, and they're watching things. And, and that's like for a filmmaker, that's like fills me with like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I want you focused in the room. I've yeah. noticed that that when I do that, watch something on Netflix or other. Um, I'm not fully there, so I'm like, I'm skimming kind of movies. I'm skimming And films. we're all skim reading. Like, we're reading more than ever. Um, That's right. But we're skimming. And usually if there's a couple articles every week where I'm like, I want to think deeply about this article. So I print it out and I put it on the table. The table gets kind of starts to get piled on of like books, articles, you know, my ukulele. Just things I want to do but I can't do during the week. And... It's interesting on the difference of skim reading and reading and really not being distracted. Like there's no fun. And actually on Saturdays, it's so great because during the week I'm negotiating with myself. I don't know if you feel this way, but I'm like, put away the phone, Tiffany, put away the phone, put it away. I'm like, I'm constantly, that's my narrator now. It's just talking to me, put it oh, away. Oh yeah, totally. And the same, you wake up in the morning, it's like, don't, don't look at Twitter. Don't, don't look, look at don't it, look go at back. It. It's like, oh. Right, so it's like this, con you're constantly negotiating. And then if you have kids, you're constantly, get off the iPad, 10 more minutes, your 30 minutes are up. It was like this constant, it's like you're bartering all week long with yourself, with your kids, with your, let's get off the screens, let's get out the door. And then Saturday, it's not an option. So we put them away Friday night before people come over for dinner and they're gone. So it's not a visual, it's not there. And it's so freeing. It's like, I'm not going to have that negotiation all day. So do you feel like creating these 
spaces in terms of time, in terms of physical space, yeah. that are basically device-free kind of spaces yeah. is part of what where yeah. we need to go. Yeah, um, there's actually a Jewish philosopher called Abraham Heschel, and he talks about Shabbat as a palace in time, which I love. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not again. I I I love this idea that it's a palace in time and not in space, and you have to create it. And it's usually around your home or nature. So you're creating this palace that you're going to enter on Friday night and enter on Saturday. That's what I love about Shabbat. I mean, the thing, I've done so much um, reading about Shabbat and it was pretty, it was the big innovation of the time. Time used to just go on and on and on and on. And then suddenly it was like, whoa, there's a day of rest in there. It's gonna put a period to the sentence of time and you are going to rest for a full day. It was also the first act of equality, not just you rested, but everyone in your household, your animals. It was like complete rest for everyone. No one is working. That is a radical concept. And every culture has something like right. that. So Sabbath, Sunday. It, Sunday in Muslims and Christians, they have different days of the weekend. Um, Native American Indians have something called untime. And um, Buddhists, you know, when you're in a state of enlightenment, you're present you're kind of living in Shabbat all the time. So it's, but um, every culture has a version of it and almost, except for extremely observant people in each of those cultures, it's pretty much evaporated. So remember when stores used to be closed on Sunday and there was like this sense of an end of- And in Europe, in many places, stores are still, right, still closed. Right, still closed. But here in the US, it's just 24 seven. And in Asia, and it's just, that is, not only is that the way of life, but it's this ideal of productivity and growth and doing and being and like that's not that's actually not a great not good great for the environment. I mean, we're all talking about climate change right now. If everyone practiced one day of rest and not consuming, that would be really powerful for the environment. And and talking about creativity and productivity, there's so much research that shows when you truly put your mind in a different mode, you're going to be more productive, you're going to be more creative. So if you're just going and taxing and even this resistance movement, we, you know, fighting, fighting, pushing, pushing, you need a break or you can't rejuvenate. So to get the perspective and to get the energy again and to get the creativity and to get the joy to fuel you those other six days, there's so many reasons for it. So. Talk about a little bit about that, that whole notion of productivity that's yeah. so embedded in this culture. Like you have to be productive. Your kids have to be productive. You have to be doing. You have to be doing. A day isn't complete unless you something. Yeah. And particularly in creative professions. But I think just in life, you know, I was one of those kids who would like stare out the window a lot and dream. And it was very frustrating to my mother who was like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> I'm thinking of the future. It's like, whatever I'm doing here. <laughs> but I know it was good. Um, but that notion of, and particularly with writing or creative things, I always tell people, you know, if somebody creates one masterpiece their whole life, but it's a masterpiece that nobody could produce, is that person being productive? Probably you wouldn't think of that person as productive, but they created a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. So this kind of desire for productivity and everything is measured on productive, and particularly with writing, yeah. you know, we talked about it that when I was writing my book, it was like, I learned that my most productive day was actually avoiding writing. Like the, <laughs> the part of writing that was most productive was avoiding writing, because that's where you struggle and you're still 
thinking about it You're in so the in background, it. Yeah. but it's a, such an integral part, giving yourself this space. And I realized, okay, that is an important part of it. And I expect it. And that's great. I just accept it no, for what it is. No, it's true. It's like the, um, it's letting your soil be fallow. Again, back to the crop and nature, like, you know, you have to let your, the, the, the soil not always be producing crops right it needs a period of rest it needs to be fallow so, yeah i think about that with creativity that one day a week and i agree with you on the writing there's that first day of a big deadline for a book where it's just procrastination my house got so clean i organized and but <laughs> i was thinking but. about it I, this wasn't any output i'm like tiffany you know again my, my narrator in my head sit at the table just like belt yourself to the chair and write and that first day and then the, and then the second day and then you get into it and then you're in your flow and it's all been in there but you had to put your body and mind in a different state so now i really i look forward to that day especially if there's some creative thing i can't figure out i'm like i'm just gonna let it all lay fallow you know it's kind of like sleep on it mm -hmm. it's a little bit like that concept of that and there's so much neuroscience the default mode network um, for your daydreaming when you were younger that what happens um, when you're focused on a task that's called the task positive network and your mind is focused, whether it's surgery or writing or you're really focused, being a car mechanic, you're focused on that. But when you're in the default mode network, so that could be doing the dishes, taking a shower, running, taking a walk, doing some kind of physical exercise, your mind is making connections in your mind. So it's linking it's just on its own wandering it's like you're taking your mind out for a walk and it's making all these unusual connections and that is where creativity comes from usually unusual links so if you don't give yourself the time if you're constantly pulling out your phone and it is telling you what to be looking at and directing your attention and distracting you you never give your your own brain the space to make its own connections and there's a lot in there that only are related to your life experiences. So I really now build in um, that kind of, you know, daydreaming, spacing out, because you're kind of time traveling in your mind and we need to value it more and know that ultimately your creativity and productivity will be so much more productive after that. And I can see at my film studio, because I was running the Webby Awards, I was working all the time. And I really, I know what that feels like. It's not like I've always lived this way. And now in the decade at my film studio where we, and because I do it, it has such a ripple effect to my team because they don't, there's no expectation that they're available to me on the weekends. It, it really has created a beautiful modeling again. I value as somebody running this company that I need to take time off and so should you. Um, but I think the work has gotten more meaningful. What about your kids? I, I'm particularly worried about kids because our kids are so scheduled, mm -hmm. overscheduled and everything. They have to be productive. They have to be uh, producing. Completely. I mean, a lot and of parents that want to bring this into their life, they're like, well, what about, I don't know how I'm going to do it on Saturdays. We have so many things on Saturday. And I just kind of wait and I go, right? And we have done it with two kids in soccer. And that was interesting because we just would like email the team and be like, we'll be there at We'll be there at the t field, but you're not going to be able to reach us. But we'll be there. And that's how we used to exist. You can't be like, I'm parking. Oh, I'm running 10 minutes late. Oh, but you know, who cares? How did we live before that? Like, yeah. I remember that that yeah. time before that. Like, And so we'll just say to them and they'll be, you know, and there was a, in the 10 years, been a couple instances where it's been like not ideal. We have a landline again, just to like, but um, 
But ultimately, there was no issues, and you just show up where you say you're going to show up, or for some reason you don't. Someone's sick. But I think that ultimately, Saturdays, like Friday, we always have people over, so that's very social. And I love sitting around the table. No one has their phones. It's connecting in a different way. But then Saturday, we try not to schedule a lot. We're just like hanging out. Sometimes we're just like lying on the floor, spacing out, reading, napping, reading the articles I want to read, make art, bike. It's like a very um, unscheduled day. I think we need more of that. I wanted to ask you, so um, we, you touched upon like who is developing these technologies that are particular, it's mostly men, it's mostly young men young who are developing these technologies, right? Um, have you ever thought about like if you were developing these technologies or if women were developing these technologies, like what would they look like? What would you build? How would you do it differently? I, well, I do think about that a lot. I'm working on writing specifically about this because I think women are so much about connection. Like that is where where we, that's the first thing we want to do is connect. And so much of that is eye contact. And so what would that tool be? I mean, I think, you know, the collaborative and the the, the network of the web really speaks to a lot of feminine strengths. And of course, I know everyone's on a spectrum and people don't fall evenly, but if you were to make a generalization as we are, that I think the collaborative and networking and sharing component is really strong, but I definitely don't think it would be about taking away eye contact. Um, I, I just feel like I, as a mother breastfeeding to all the way to just seeing where my kids are and checking in with them, it's their it's eye contact and i had a friend who whose child really um went through a difficult period and the cell phone was a conduit to so much i mean listen every teenager can go through a difficult period but she made a pretty radical intervention and pulled her out of school and sent her to like a wilderness school and i asked her you know what was what was the moment that you were like i have to do something and she said you know the light went out in her eyes she was staring at that phone all the time and I couldn't, there was like no light in her eyes. I really was so powerful. And you know, they they say like a third of, I think it's a third of teens are waking up throughout the night to check mm -hmm. their phone, the likes and the notifications and the texts and a fourth of adults do that too. So that's interrupting sleep. It's interrupting a calmness, like to try to sleep. And you know, the blue light and there's so much, you know, research on just, the plaque buildup from the not sleep, you know, all oh, there's so much stuff. But um, what kind of environment are we setting up for our kids, and what are we, what are we valuing, and what are we teaching them that we value? Have you done talks, or have you talked to kids actually? How how do they react? Because they they don't know anything different. Well, right? we did. Uh, we had this global day called Character Day that just happened. We had a lot of youth because the good news is there are youth coming up that are pushing back. So. There's this great TED talk, a TEDx talk people should watch um, by this young um, high school student named Indigo that chose to get a flip phone by choice. And of course, Ken's and our daughter had a flip phone until ninth grade. That was just us saying that's what's going to happen. But um, and then there's this organization called Look Up and there's students at Duke. There's pockets of students now all over the country and the world that are starting to push back. And we had a lot of their leaders come speak for Character Day and tell us what they're thinking. And one one teenager was saying, it, 
it feels like it takes courage to say I'm turning it off. And that's interesting because it's saying like, I know all of this is happening and I might be missing out on what's happening, but I have to take care of myself. And so I think giving them the language and then letting them know that this is an option because that's such a, it's such a hard time anyways in human development that it seems to exacerbate so many insecurities about not being invited to something or your identity. On the, on the good side, you can try out a lot of identities online. And if and you connect with a lot of people, of that, course, and if you and you have a voice, I mean, I love seeing all these teens have a powerful platform. There's so many positive things, but should you be on it all the time? And should you create palaces in time for yourself to just kind of check in with yourself and not be in such a responsive 24 seven network? So I felt a lot of hope hearing from different college students, high school students, and different thoughts that they're finally kind of talking about it. And doing some challenges at the school. And um, so I, I I do believe we are going to get the pendulum back in a better spot. Do you, so let's talk about the future, which is my favorite we, yes, subject. Yes, yes. So, um, so, you know, do you envision that we're kind of in this interstitiary period with these screens, right? Like eventually we will be communicating with no screens. You well, know, that's the thing. The Facebook screen. just acquired this company's direct brain to text interface and things like that, which worries me a lot more than the screens, frankly. And and so screens are bad, but let's take it to next generation of communications where it's beyond screens mm -hmm. and things like direct. Yeah, I mean, I do think about that and I kind of go in the last chapter, I kind of look towards the future because it's not going to be screens. It's going to be augmented reality. There could be contact lenses. There could be something in your ear. There's so many things, but I still believe there will be this value in disconnecting from the network. That's the biggest. So that's the larger thing. It's disconnecting from the that network. That is the larger whatever thing. Whatever device and whatever Whatever we call it. We call it a screen. We call it a contact lens. We call it a... Whatever it is, is that, and this is what I love about this ancient idea of Shabbat. For one day, you're in a different way of existing and you're very present. And so as the technologies accelerate forward, I feel like this will be this way to, to keep your humanity and to keep your authentic connection and your reflection and perspective and big picture thinking is to get off the network, whatever we call it, one day a week, to kind of regain this sense of what's happening and to have enough perspective to kind of, if you want to evolve it or change it and to have authentic connection, because that's all we've got. You know, that's all we have at the end of the day is authentic communicating. And even I think, you know, the youth that are staring down at their phones all the time, eventually they're going to be in a relationship and you actually have to make eye contact. Eventually you're going to be a parent. I mean, there are all these kind of life cycles where it'll push them to do that. But in the interim, I hope with this book that I just really want to invite people to try something that has this deep wisdom in it and that can kind of wake you up more to a good way to live. And I, you know, I do yoga and meditation and they both kind of help me regain a sense of balance and calm in a very accelerated world. And I think that this can do the same thing. So, you know, thinking about the future, I do think about the future a lot. Do we do we like where we're headed? You, do we? <laughs> I mean, like, let's think, what are the best parts of, the best part is that everyone's gonna be connected. 
The best part is that people have access to information like they've never, they have access to medical information and resources. And although the inequality has grown, general um, people have more, I mean, you know this with all of your work. But then let's look at the things that we don't want to accelerate into the future. And what can we do? Because a lot of them seem so huge. How can you even do anything? Well, this is something you can do tomorrow. And I guess the problem, that's what Jaron Lanier talks about, is that it's not authentic me to you communication. There's a platform that's filtering. And manipulating that. And manipulating. And I think that's a big part of it. That's what you want to disconnect with. It's not from me and you. That's right. It's from this platform that's actually manipulating and really kind of directing what kind of interactions we're yeah. having. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you find this, but sometimes on Facebook, it's such a crapshoot right now. Like sometimes I post something and a very random collection of people comment on it, but they aren't like my closest. And I'm like, hmm. And then sometimes I post something and like, it's a photo or something and then like everyone, but I have no idea what's happening. And the fact that I have no idea these algorithms that are affecting I mean, I'm very conscious of it, so I try not to let it affect my mood. But for a lot of people, they're like, oh, my God, that didn't get liked or I'm not validated or I'm not connected or. But I really don't have I don't I don't trust that. Like, I have an email list that I've had for over 20 years called Breakfast at Tiffany's. And from the early days of the Webbies, I send it out once a quarter. That's what I trust. It's you know, it, these people have been with me my whole career. I trust that email list. Like that's the only thing I really, and you know, and still sometimes it gets caught in their spam and it gets, you know, it's not going into the index, but generally I feel like my email list is still my direct line to my community that supports my work or, but on, on social media, I mean, you and I are both Twitter people. So that's always just kind of yeah, like, I, just, I think like for me, um, leaving Facebook and I, I didn't totally delete the account, but it's it's liberating because these likes it's oppressive like one thing that you love is birthday and you know all the birthdays and then you realize you know it's it's kind of oppressive too because then you feel like okay do i have to have say to happy birthday to respond do I to have everyone to not say then what does that mean it's it's just liberating not to have this pressure but i am a big twitter well twitter i think twitter to me it kind of releases that because it's more to me it's about sharing ideas so you're just like you're flowing ideas around. And I follow a lot of people that don't share the same idea. Like I really, it's not my, it's not an echo chamber for me. Like Twitter is like, I am following so many people. And often I will read an article and it just changed my point of view. But the thing with Facebook is sometimes like I've really curated, this is, I'd highly recommend doing this. Um, when I first got on Facebook, Howard Reinkold, a mutual friend of ours, I'm like, what do I do? How many people do you, what's your strategy around Facebook? He's like, I let everyone in if they like your work accept them as friends. Well, what happened was, is there was so many people that I didn't feel like I didn't know who was on, right? So then I went through this process of highly curating who I follow. So it's a handful of people. So I really, when I go into the newsfeed, it's, and, and sometimes I'm on there and there's something on there that will bring me to tears. And that's the beauty of it, you know? And that's why so many people that like delete all, you know, even Jaron, delete all your social media accounts. I'm like, well, that's not gonna happen because I make films, I do, like that's how I activate my community. And, but I think I'm very mindful of how I'm using it. So email is my direct connection to my community. Um, Twitter is really, it's like a quick exchange of ideas. I love following you. I have my handful, I have my list and I'm, 
And then Facebook is really where I can find everyone. Like, I don't know, where do they live now? Are they living in New York? Do they change jobs? Do they have a kid? I can really find people there. And Instagram, you would think I'd be into it because I'm such a visual person, but it just takes too much time to <laughs> construct the image and the filter. I'm like, whoa, that took 35 minutes I didn't have. So, um, but the truth is, is I wrestle, I have a whole chapter in the book about the pros and cons of social media because it's your printing press, it's your broadcast network, it's your way to communicate. And yes, it sounds wonderful to say delete all of those things, but if you're out there putting work into the world and this you're trying to have a conversation, right, you have to communicate that way. So it just doesn't seem real, but it seemed, But I try to think, how can I use this in a better way? So I do not look at social media before I go to sleep, because sometimes, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you'll look at your feed and they these people enter your dreams and I'm like, oh my God, they're manipulating my, they're shaping <laughs> they my thoughts. your dreams. There's the well, no, Reed Hastings um, yes. goal, right? Well, right and there. the, you know, and I'm very careful who I follow. Like I, I really, they are shaping your thoughts mm -hmm. and you should really curate who's shaping your thoughts. So it used to be the books you read, like who was in your library were like the curators, you know, people come over and you look at their library shelf. Those are the curators of how I've formed my brain. But really look through your your news feeds. Are these the curators that you want for your brain? And um, really go through and think about that because it's it's important. And I really don't follow any kind of vacuous. I I I don't follow Trump, even though I need to know what he's doing because it always appears. But it appears. It appears. I, it's enough that I could take. And I. Um, I feel like I follow enough. I, I read a magazine every week. Um, we get the New Yorker and we get the week and the week magazine is like this. It's almost like the Herald Tribune of magazines. It shows every issue from the, the right, the center and the left on every issue. So I feel like and I read it every week and it's, it's a, it's not a big magazine, but I feel like I need to understand what's happening on all those different sides, just like in the same way that I think about Twitter. So I'm not saying shut it off, but be smart about how you're, you're letting the whole world into your brain all the time. And everyone can reach you all the time. And that's not great. Yeah, yeah. So what you're doing series of Dear Parent, Dear oh, yeah, Politician, Dear CEO. Yeah. So what's your advice for all of those categories, for parents? Just yeah, so we're advice. releasing these two-minute films. So we just released Dear Parent. And... Um, People can go to characterday.org. Actually, they can see everything and the newsletter and everything at 246sixlife.com. But the two-minute film, Dear Parent, is a lot about things to think about as a parent and how it is modeling behavior and to try a practice of Tech Shabbat or limiting screens and really do it as a family. Then there's Dear Student, where we showed it to a lot of teens to try to get there, make sure it spoke to them. Um, and that was really to get them to do what you say, which is to just think about the way they're using it. Then we're doing Dear CEO, which is about this 24-7 society we've built. Like 63% of people in a survey felt like they had to be available and respond right away over the weekend. And to really think as somebody running any company, a small nonprofit, a big corporation, how are you modeling and how are you creating an environment for people to thrive? And then dear legislatures, a lot of issues that, I mean, 
a lot of people don't understand what's going on. That's the problem. You see these congressional hearings and it's like laughable because like somebody's asking <laughs> well, this question. Well, they don't understand yeah, they the don't politicians. Know, they, they don't have... even know what they're talking about. It's like this is a foreign language where very few people understand it. So how do we get translators? How do we expand this? How do we show some metaphors? Get some filmmakers in there. Get some graphs and metaphors. Like what you were saying, harvesting. Like that's a very powerful metaphor. Like what are the metaphors to get people's minds around what is actually happening with our data? And then the last film is Dear F Fellow Human. And that is really this bigger question of how do we want to live? We all have a choice every day. How do we want to live? And what are small actions we can take to um, right this imbalance? And then what are things that you can do in your family, in your school, at your company, in your community, and as a voter? There's things we can do. We just need to, we need to feel like we have agency. Do you, do you feel like this is the moment, like people are sort of waking up. They're I seeing do. this. We're all seeing this is a problem. It, we're, it's addictive. It's kind of, it's helping us, but it's also creating these negative consequences in our lives. And I think there's a kind of a larger conversation happening. So do you feel like hopeful? And with the book, what do you hope that's going to happen? You know, it's been really exciting. It just came out last week. So this weekend, a lot of people try to text Shabbat. And it's so much fun. And they're all, and anyone listening, if you do try it, you know, tag me because it's on, on social media. There you go. Because that's a beautiful way for me to re-amplify out how the experience was for you. But people are just writing these beautiful things. But I can do this. I can bring this into my life. And here's the thing. You know, sometimes when you read a book, even if it moves you a little bit over and it makes you more, like you said, you were in your meeting, you read the book and it made you have people put their screens down during the meeting. And of course, I want everyone to try every week doing a text spot because it's in the weekly ritual and practice of it that it, it gets better and better. But even just to take that beat right now, we're not taking any beat before we just reach for that device and fill up a moment with that device. And my bigger goal is that we're going to kind of shift our consciousness in the way we're using it. Feel like we have some agency because I think everyone's like, I'm addicted, all these companies that, you know, that I have no, they're giving their power, but I want people to feel agency that you can change your behavior. I mean, I, I quit smoking. I know you can change your behavior. I work a lot in character development. You have to focus on it. But I think with this much more than smoking, and actually, there's this doctor at Harvard that I work with, Dr. Michael Rich. He does not like the word addiction. And he says, um, addiction assumes you can abstain. It's more like binge eating because you need to use technology, but you can you have to moderate and regulate. And it is much more similar to that. But I think the word addiction just captures the way that we feel. But I think if we all just focused on like, I want to focus on the best parts of myself because right now that phone is playing to our weaknesses. It's playing for that dopamine rush. It's playing for that quick fix, like having what do you refined think about sugar. Phones coming with a warning, just like cigarette packages. Oh, I ha yeah, I have an animation I'm working on that says this is going to take away your attention and you're never going to feel fully or present. If you watch, if you're on it for four hours, the, yeah. risk, the risk of suicide goes up, the risk of depression, all kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, that is Stick. just like, waking people up. And one of the stats we say in the Dear Parent film is that teen suicide attempts has doubled since the smartphone came out. I mean, they can just like look. And, you know, just, you know, so much good technology brings, but ask the question, when does it help my life? When does it make things better? And when is it diminishing my experience? 
When does it amplify my voice, my empathy, my action? And when does it lower it? When is it better to be on and when is it better to be off? And what does it feel like to take a full day every week? It's like the most abundant, joyous, fantastic day of my week. It's the one I look forward to all six. So what does that say? You know, and then, you know, I love all the levers of activity and productivity. I don't deny that. And I'm not anti-tech in any way, but I don't think we're taking a beat in that prefrontal cortex moment to ask that question. And all the films I've made on neuroscience and all the work that I have done, if you want to strengthen something, do it more. Strengthen that muscle. So by doing Tech Shabbat, it's going to strengthen the muscle and it's going to just help you build a healthier practice in your life. And just as, you know, I, when the web was coming, it was like, this is so amazing. But now it's like, it's not amazing all the time. In fact, it's depleting all the time and it's draining. Like when you said, I love how you said when one person picks up their phone, it's almost like when you're at a great party and like the first person leaves and I always don't want them to make too big of a deal that they're leaving because it's like they've drained <laughs> the energy high. So when you're somewhere and then someone pulls out their phone, it's like that first person has just said, now the energy is leaking from the situation. <laughs> My last question. Um, a lot of your work is connected to the brain mm -hmm. and the impacts of technology and all these things to our brain, which has to do yeah. probably with your father. Right? I think it was in actually in fourth grade, my dad brought a brain in formaldehyde to my fourth Ooh, grade class. He was a nurse, a surgeon, <laughs> he did a lot, right? And he wrote about, he the, wrote brain about and, the brain. And he was a surgeon, but he did operate so on the brain too. So you're kind of carrying on that tradition. And, and that. So what I was thinking is, is this, you're probably so involved with the book and what happens with the book, but do you have an idea of what next? Like, what are you curious about? What, what are you, what, are you thinking about something? Well, we're just launching this research study with the University of Pennsylvania. So there's so much research that I've been citing all throughout about the negative effects of too much technology use. So we want to do, what are the positive effects of actually having a healthy tech practice? So we're just sending out a survey. So anyone that's listening that wants to try a tech Shabbat, um, then you can be part of our survey, which is really cool. It's just like 10 minute surveys several times. And how does it help your life? What is this kind of the positive psychology spin on this question? What's the relationship between character and screen use? And if you build a healthy practice of abstaining and, and t going away from screens for a day, how can that make your life better? So I'm excited about that research. And I'm really excited to take to have people try this and talk to them about it. And we are, I have all these resources on our 246life.com um, of like the research I've discussed, but like supporting things, fun films to watch while you're doing it to kind of engage. So I'm excited about the next phase where people will engage with the idea and hear how it goes for them. Um, but I have my long, the, the next film about the brain I want to do, I've done one called Brain Power from Neurons to Networks. That was about birth to five years old. Then I did one, The Science of Character, which was kind of up until teenagers. And I really love to make a brain, uh, uh, make a brain, make the film <laughs> on the teenage brain, because that's one of the most interesting periods of human development. And um, that's why handing a teenager a supercomputer when their brain's like completely changing its architecture and very malleable, whatever addiction you're giving is going to be there for a long time. So um, I'm interested in that. But I have so many, oh, there's so little time and so much to so do. So many things to do. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, and thank Marina. you for writing the book. It's really is a wonderful book and just make 
a difference in my life just in one day. Oh, so thank, thank you. you. I love your work. Um, thinking about the future and framing the questions about the future, which I think is what we're both interested in. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website, ciis.edu slash podcast. <laughs>